Hello and welcome to Heilman and Haver, the stage and screen podcast, coming to you from Casa de Quinn and 1111 Studios in beautiful Port Orchard, Washington. I'm Greg Heilman. And I'm Matt Haver. We're two local actors looking to hone our craft by exploring the best in local theater and on the big screen. Each week we bring you entertainment news and views, celebrate classic Hollywood, enjoy cocktails with a Tinseltown twist, interview talented local actors and directors, and chat with industry experts from L.A. to the U.K. Welcome to episode 44 and our one-year anniversary as a show. We're celebrating with a very special guest, Carolyn Grimes. At age six, Carolyn played the role of Zuzu Bailey in the 1946 Frank Capra classic, It's a Wonderful Life. Her childhood film career spanned 16 movies, but she is best remembered for her touching scenes with the brilliant James Stewart as her father, George Bailey. So stay tuned for that. We're excited to talk to Carolyn in a few minutes, and we've been lucky enough to interview other classic Hollywood actors like Perry King and Kathy Garver. And and last weekend, we were lucky enough to shake the hand of the star of Alien, Contact, Top Gun, and MASH, Tom Skerritt, at the Seattle Film Summit. It was a thrill to meet a Hollywood legend, but it was even more exciting to see the young, talented artists and actors and producers and screenwriters working tirelessly to make Seattle a hub for filmmaking in the U.S. So thanks again to Ben Andrews, Sheena Jewell, Michelle Locke, Todd Conley, and the rest of the Summit crew for making us feel so welcome. We'll be returning to the summit in 2022 and are already looking forward to what's in store next year when hopefully the whole summit will be in person. But one thing is already certain, the future of filmmaking in Seattle is bright. We also had the chance to connect with many community and youth-focused theater groups in the area and look forward to highlighting local playhouses like the Renton Civic Theater in future episodes of Get to Know a Theater. Speaking of which, mark your calendar for September 30th when we'll be featuring Seattle's Fifth Avenue Theater. And while you're at it, back up a couple days and jot down Saturday, September 25th, when we'll be opening another edition of Movies of the Decade at the historic Roxy Theater in Bremerton. On the big screen, the 1994 Quentin Tarantino classic and winner of the Oscar for Best Screenplay, Pulp Fiction, starring, well, everybody that's cool. We hit the stage at 6.30 p.m., followed by another insightful introduction by our friend Jeremy Arnold from TCM. And yes, kids, Pulp Fiction now qualifies as a classic. I'm feeling so old. (laughs) And speaking of classics, classics of the stage, that is, make sure to check out Side by Side by Sondheim at Bremerton Community Theater. The musical review of Stephen Sondheim's early career plays through September 26th, and you can get more info and tickets at bctshows.com. And of course, at Western Washington Center for the Arts, it's a real classic. The Gilbert and Sullivan favorite, zany rogues of the high seas, the Pirates of Penzance. Pirates can be seen through October 3rd, and you'll find tickets at wwca.us. And keep an eye on our Facebook page for our review of Pirates coming up this weekend. And now we're proud to welcome Carolyn Grimes to the show. Carolyn is a former child actor, author, retired medical technician, mother, grandmother, and for years the unofficial ambassador for the 1946 Frank Capra classic. And one of our favorite movies around the holidays for sure, It's a Wonderful Life. With James Stewart playing her father, George Bailey, Carolyn starred as Zuzu, uttering those timeless words, every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. Carolyn made 16 films between 1945 and 1952 and appeared alongside John Wayne, Cary Grant, Bing Crosby, Loretta Young, Fred McMurray, Betty Grable, Danny Kaye, and, of course, the immortal James Stewart. At age six, she'd already appeared in four films when the part of Zuzu came along. It was just another small part, but one that has made an indelible imprint on the American consciousness. She joins us from her home in Weed, California. Carolyn, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you. I'm I'm really going to enjoy this. Well, so are we. We've been looking forward to this one for some time. It's a, we're, we're both big fans of It's mm-hmm. a Wonderful Life, and it's a real, a real treat to meet you. Well, thank you. So, Carolyn, our friend uh, Jeremy Arnold, who is a Turner Classic Movies film historian and author and host, 
uh, has written a book, Christmas in the Movies, 30 Classics to Celebrate the Season. And we had him on our podcast last year. And he's been doing a lot of work with us this year for the Roxy celebration of its 80th anniversary. And his top movie out of all the Christmas films is It's a Wonderful Life. Probably not a surprise. And he, he talked about the success of the film because in the end, it's a very satisfying story of redemption, not only for George Bailey, but for other characters as well. Now, 75 years after the film's premiere, what do your fans tell you uh, means the most to them about It's a Wonderful Life? What they say is that they identify with George Bailey and his trials and tribulations. There's very few people that haven't gone through a lot of those things in this day and age. And they get the message from the film that everybody matters and each life is important and each person can make a difference. And so I think they put that at the top of their list because it reminds them of family and it's a wonderful tradition to have every Christmas, but it also gives them hope for humanity at a very bleak time. <laughs> sure. And especially now, even, you know, when, when things are tough, things are always tough, but it seems especially now we've got so much division oh. and so much pain right now with the, with the pandemic and things like that to have something that gives us a little bit of hope in humanity is never, never a bad thing. <laughs> a good foundation to build on. This is something I can imagine you're asked at least a million times every time you appear anywhere around the country, but what are some of your recollections from the sets? Did the weight of working with any of these stars stand out to you at that young age? Well, 75 years ago, I was six years old, and it was just another job. That was all it was. They weren't very special actors. I mean, they were all just people to me. They were just Jimmy Stewart. I mean, that's who he was. I mean, Donna Reed, that, they were just nice people. And Frank Capra was an exceptional director with children. And I, I just enjoyed working on the set because there were other kids there. And we got to play and have fun, you know, in between takes. And I really enjoyed doing the film. And I had no idea, no one did, that it would become what it has become today. And quite frankly, you know, I, it started catching up with me in the 70s. And then um, one day in 1980, someone knocked on my door on a farm in Kansas and they said, were you the little girl that played Zuzu in the movie It's a Wonderful Life? Can we have an interview? <laughs> and the dam broke. <laughs> I said, sure. You know, so I went downstairs in the basement and brought all my memorabilia up. We had an interview. And, the, and then it, it kept happening. Every week, someone else would come forward. And I thought, when I started getting fan mail, so many years later, I'm 40 years old. This was just a part of my past, but here these people are sending me fan mail, and I thought, you know what? I better sit down and watch this movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, we've got a question about that coming up here, actually, in a few minutes. 
Uh, and, and it's funny, we just spoke to uh, another child actor, young adult actor, uh, Kathy Garver, and uh, she was very young when she was in The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, and uh, Cecil B. DeMille wrote some special lines for her, and she said exactly the same thing. You're just doing your thing, you're just enjoying. She said there were some animals on the set, She was there was other kids, everybody was real nice, and you know, it's it's only after time passes you start to realize, wow, that was actually a pretty big deal. Now, correct me on this. I seem to remember that It's a Wonderful Life wasn't a huge hit when it first came out, and it was really only until the TV reruns. They started running it during the holidays that it really, like you said, around the 70s and 80s, it really started to get that strong following. Is is that correct? Yes. It was actually a very big box office failure. Yeah, which is so surprising. A lot of reasons for that. Um, it was released at the Globe Theater December the 20th in New York. And that's too late for a Christmas yeah. movie to be done. And there's a lot of um, editing errors in the movie because the head of the studio came to Frank Capra and he said, I, I want you to have It's a Wonderful Life for our Christmas movie because Sinbad the Sailor was supposed to be the Christmas movie, but it wasn't ready. So he put Capra to work and Capra had to quickly edit his movie and put it together and get it ready for release by the 20th. So when it came out, it was right after the war. People were wanting to be entertained. They didn't want to be sad. And the movie was marketed as a romantic comedy. It was not a romantic comedy. So when people came and they saw this serious movie, they got the wrong impression and it just wasn't popular. And it's about a man who's going to commit suicide. You know, it's, 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 it's a dark film. Mm-hmm. And so this was something that um, just didn't fly back then. So it actually sat on the shelf for 20 years and then they didn't renew the copyright. So it became public domain and all the television stations started showing the film. And that was in the early seventies. So I'm old enough that I have seen the children that watched it with their parents in the 70s, and then they grew up, their children watched it with them, and then their children grew up, all the <laughs> generations of kids who had this as a Christmas holiday tradition in their home. Well, it was Thanksgiving at my grandparents' house when I first saw it, and uh, yeah, just I just remember, I remember the comedy in it, really, um, at that age, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, the comedy, uh, you know, when he's ragging out. Mrs. and Mr. Welsh on the phone. I just, I, I live for those moments where you saw that side of Jimmy Stewart. It was just, it's such a part of my history. It's amazing you talk about that, Matt, because I, I think about as I've gotten older, it's one of those films that as you get older and you're a different point in your life, you can relate to different parts of it. So as a kid, you exactly. relate to some of it. And then as you get older and you become a parent or you're facing middle age and you're thinking, what does your life mean? Do you, have you had an impact on people? You, you get to relate to that part of it. And it's, that's, I think, that's maybe part of the the reason it stood the test of time. We've talked about some of the other reasons, but maybe because it's got so much relatability as you get older. Very possible. Mm-hmm. Now, Carolyn, you mentioned memorabilia. Anybody who is on a film set of any point, we always ask if they've been able to take something from that movie uh, set or a, or a prop or something like that. Do you have any pieces from It's a Wonderful Life? Well, I was pretty impressed with that big Christmas tree. I was an only child and our tree was about three feet tall and it sat on top of a table. 
that's all I'd ever known. And I saw this gorgeous, beautiful Christmas tree. There might be an ornament missing. <laughs> there might be. Okay. <laughs> if it was happened to be bell-shaped, that also wouldn't surprise us. Well, the bottom of it is. <laughs> Well, that's probably one of the questions you, you frequently get asked, just what Greg asked you. You know, as you're traveling around, you become the unofficial, official ambassador for It's a Wonderful Life, travel all over the country, all kinds of different holiday shows and uh, signature fairs and things like that. And, you know, it's, it's a message of family and, and friendship, and that just attracts so many different people. But you must get some specific questions about what it was like to be Zuzu. What, what's the number one question you get asked when you're out on the road? What was it like working with Jimmy Stewart? <laughs> That's number one. Our next question. How's that? How did that happen? <laughs> and all I could say is he was just a, a regular guy. He was very kind, very uh, patient. And um, I did blow a line once in the pedal scene. And he said, oh, that's okay, Carolyn. You'll get it right the next time. And I did. And I felt like he sort of gave me a little advice that it's okay to make a mistake you can fix it, you know? So I, I really do remember that. But he was just a gentle soul, and he was so tall. I was going to ask how tall, for a little kid, he must have seemed enormous. Oh, he was, you know, six feet four, and he was skinny as a rail, which made him look even taller. So for me to be in his arms, I'm really way up there. And they showed this footage of a private video that, one of the crew had taken for the rat party and I'm on his shoulders again. I'm up there in his <laughs> Up in the stratosphere. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's funny. My, my dad had a, had the chance to meet Jimmy Stewart when he was filming Cheyenne Autumn. Uh, my grandfather worked for the local Budweiser distributor and they, um, they catered the cast party. And so he got to bring the families along. This was back in, you know, 1963 ish. And he was 10 and that's, that's the thing that he remembers, too. He remembers Jimmy Stewart ruffling his hair and looking up, and this guy was a mile a mile <laughs> tall. And, of course, Ricardo Montalban and the whole gang was there. But uh, we searched my grandma's house for that autograph. She swore it was there for decades. And I, I found Ricardo Montalban's, but not Jimmy's, <laughs> unfortunately. But that's my, that's my connection. <laughs> Speaking of stars and folks like that, experiences like that, along with the stars of It's a Wonderful Life, Boy, you've, you know, we mentioned in your, in your bio, some of the folks that you've had the pleasure of, of working with or the opportunity to work with John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara in Rio Grande, Cary Grant, Loretta Young, and David Niven in The Bishop's Wife, which is probably my top five. It's one, another one of those that I watch every year. Uh, Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire in Blue Skies, and, and the list goes on. Fred McMurray, Betty Grable, Danny Kay. As a young actor, now you told, you, you mentioned some of the lessons that you got from Jimmy Stewart, you know, uh, making a mistake is okay. How about any of the other ones that you've had a chance to work with? Did any of them leave an, um, an impression on you or give you some advice? Cary Grant. Cary Grant loved kids. And every day, there was some friction on the set. Every day he would come get me and there was an ice skating rink on the set, on the stage. And he would come get me and he would practice his ice skating and pull me around on a sled every day. And then in between that, he would read me stories and tell me stories. He was just a great guy. And he really made me feel like I was worth something. Hmm. My mother was really impressed. 
<laughs> I, I've heard that about Cary Grant. Uh, he was he was gracious and put people so easily at ease, uh, young and old. He did. He really was um, so kind and, and and personable. You know, you feel like you've known him for a hundred years. Hmm. Everybody can do that, and especially the stars. They they aren't like that. The most of them aren't. Was pretty cool though. Who's that? Sorry. John Wayne. He used to call me Little Miss Carolyn. <laughs> <laughs> In that big voice of his, he'd boom it out. And he had his son, Pat Wayne, on the set while we shot um, in Moab, Utah, and all around. So we played a lot. He was very kind, let me go in his room and play in his room and bed and all that stuff. It was fun. I really enjoyed it. And he threw a birthday party for me. So I thought that was pretty cool. It was an, on the Colorado River Bluff, and he had a big cake made and my birthday is the 4th of july so he brought in a lot of fireworks and had a <laughs> happy birthday little miss carol <laughs> and that, and that's the that's the duke you were talking about i'm sorry i lost i lost your audio for a second that's duke yeah, that's the duke sounds like him i thought we might have still been on cary grant <laughs> <laughs> he didn't do a lot of westerns but <laughs> i was i was going to comment that you know it was interesting because i've always wondered with the ice skating how much of the ice skating cary grant did versus how much a, a double did. Yeah, he did quite a bit. Yeah, well, that sounds like that if he was out there every day practicing. So that uh, that makes me feel better. He practiced <laughs> chair and he practiced with pulling me around. I mean, he really uh, did a lot of the ice skating himself, and just the fancy, fancy stuff they brought in people to to do that. Now, how about the folks from It's a Wonderful Life? Of course, you're, I mean, it's no no slouch cast there either. Uh, the great Lionel Barrymore, uh, Beulah Bondi. Donna Reed, Henry Travers. Did you get to interact with, with any of them on set much? Actually, not so much. I, I really never had any line with anybody but him. But Jimmy, yeah. The whole film. There was no interaction with anybody else. And I was just focused on him. And I think Capra wanted me to do that. And so I'm, I, I really didn't have any interaction with too many people there. I liked what you said about James Stewart earlier. You said he just he was just a normal guy, just an everyday guy. You know, you go back and you watch something like Harvey, you know, which I did recently, and it's that's the truth. That's was his, that was really his appeal. Cary Grant had an a polished every every man kind of appeal, but Jimmy just had that little bit rough around the edges, common guy appeal, and I think that's what made especially the the uh, the role of George Bailey so believable and so compelling. Probably true. I think Jimmy Stewart is the kind of guy you can go out and just have a drink with and be relaxed with. Cary Cary Grant, to me, seems like the kind of guy you aspire to go out and have (laughs) a drink with. (laughs) And dress as well. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he was from England, you know. (laughs) Yeah. So, so Carolyn, uh, you, you've dealt with some you've dealt with some loss in your life. Um, your parents, uh, when you were young, uh, within a year of each other, uh, you were adopted away to, uh, from Hollywood to the Midwest, where you experienced your share of triumphs and heartbreaks. And and like you said, renewed interest in the film uh, started happening in the '70s and '80s. And then here you get uh, you get contacted by someone who's interested in doing an interview. And I also heard, and this is, you're 39, 40 years old, working in the medical field, raising seven children. Yeah. It, it, so, and, and like you said, you hadn't seen the film 
And all of a sudden, wow, uh, this world opens back up. Did did you hear from Jimmy at that point? I heard that, that he had wondered where you were and had reached had reached back out, sent maybe an attorney or a, a secretary to track you down? He had his secretary track me down because a lot of people had been asking him, whatever happened to that little girl, Zuzu? Yeah. Um, he tracked me down and we got together after that and had a great time. He, he was just so down to earth. He was just the sweetest man. And he had no anything artificial. You know, a lot of the stars start that way, but then they get full of themselves and it becomes, you know, they're not real people anymore. They're just, they're not down to earth. And he never, never changed. He was the same. He was born in Indiana, Pennsylvania, a very small town. And his father ran the hardware store there. He owned it. And he just grew up in an environment that was really good. And he went to, um, when he went to college, he he wanted, he was majored in um, architecture. Yeah, <laughs> just, I heard that, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he thought, well, it might be fun to take part in some theater. So he decided to try to do some theater, and he got the bug. And he and Henry Fonda ended up coming to Hollywood. And um, his dad was not very happy about that. <laughs> he didn't think that actors were, was a real living. <laughs> <laughs> so, but he ended, he ended up accepting it, and, and it was really cool. And he lived out there with um, without... Um, any problems and his dad came out to visit him right at the beginning and he said um well son where's your church and he said well dad i haven't found one yet before the day was over <clears throat> his dad had brought two deacons with him <laughs> <laughs> to his apartment and he said these are so and so and this is my son and he's going to start going to your church <laughs> that's and great that's true. and you'll be glad he did when you see how big a star he becomes <laughs> <laughs> so in the continuing on with kind of the story of you getting back involved with with the film it's a wonderful life uh in the 90s 1990s target made it's a wonderful life part of its holiday promotion um hired the Bailey children as ambassadors how did it feel at that point? And I guess we, we, we asked you about your interactions with some of the other other cast members, Lionel Barrymore, et cetera, in, in the film. But I guess, did you interact, first of all, during the shooting of the film with your siblings in, yeah. the, um, in the film? And then how did it feel reuniting with them for this, uh, this Target promotional? They reunited the Bailey kids, and we traveled all over the United States. We had a great time. And... Um, we had a problem trying to get Petey to come along with us, but <laughs> Larry Sims, right? Yeah. I got him drunk one night and so he had, yeah, he said, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> and so he traveled with it. At first he was very reserved and very shy and, you know, kind of was embarrassed in front of people, but he started signing at the signings at the target store. And he said, you know, I've had people come through this line and tell me that they had thought about suicide for themselves and they saw this movie and it changed their life. Hmm. And he, he was just amazed 
at the stories that people told him and if they went through the line. And uh, it was pretty great because he went on to uh, be a real successful scientist and he ended up putting satellite systems in um, four countries. He traveled all over the world and he got a lot of uh, fan mail. And it was in his house. He had boxes of it, boxes. The school kids had written him and he never opened them. He never opened the letters. He just kept them, but he kept them. <laughs> I, I couldn't figure that out. He kept every one of those letters those children wrote him. That's interesting. As a child actor, you have certain, and I think these days it's it's rare that a child actor doesn't stay in acting. You do have cases, but uh, it seems like you know when, when you were coming up and and Kathy Garver and some of the other ones, you know, in that age, some stayed, but a lot of them went, you know, left acting and went to find successful careers doing other things, you know, such as yourself. Do you think there's a difference now with child actors, the way they're put into the into the system? It just, just doesn't seem like you have that anymore. Once you're in, it seems like they, they stay in. I've noticed that, um, but it becomes a life and a lifestyle. And um, it goes, I mean, that's what they want to do. And some people really like the the fan mail and, you know, being treated special and things like that. And other people really feel like it's a little shallow. And I think that's one of the reasons they, they go on and get a career and do other things, feeling like maybe more meaningful in life. I'm not sure, but I've talked to a few people that kind of feel that way, Claude Jarman Jr. and some other folks. The glamour of Hollywood isn't all that glamorous. It's hard work and it's dog eat dog. And you have to step on a lot of bodies to get to the top. And if you don't have that in your nature, I don't think you will survive there. And I, I, I'm glad I got out of there because I would not have had that in my, I couldn't do that. I think it was meant to be. <laughs> I'm curious about now you were you started acting I think before you even were conscious that you were acting correct uh as yeah. no clue. <laughs> at, yeah like at six months old essentially kind of a thing yeah. I think in, in one role how did your I, it sounds like your mother get you involved was she involved in the industry or no. you're just a, just so adorable she's like this child needs to be seen by the world I was an only child you know so you, there you get center tension for sure yeah. <laughs> Uh, in Hollywood back in the day, at that time, almost all the people that lived in Hollywood proper were in the industry in one way or another. I mean, that was the industry of the entire town. And people, their kids just went right along with that. And so they're almost every kid was involved in movies in some way, because that was just a part of life there. So I didn't think anything about it. And neither did any other kids that I worked with. It was just a way of life out there. Did you receive any kind of special training? Were you enrolled in any special uh, schools of acting at that you know at, at that young age when you started? Yeah, she started me when I was two. Yeah, when I was three. <laughs> Violin when I was five. I mean, 
There were classes for elocution, diction, classes, classes. There was, you know, a, a mom with an only child, and boom. <laughs> <laughs> lots, lots of energy to devote right to you. Yeah. <laughs> so, which which film was the most fun to work on out of the ones that you've done? Well, the westerns. Mm-hmm. They were super fun. Real Grand. And then I did another one that was fun called Albuquerque. You know, you, you get to ride in the stagecoaches and you get to ride in covered wagons with Indians chasing you. You know, I mean, it, it was cool. I loved that. I, I just really enjoyed the cowboy stuff. And I thought that was great. So if I had to do it over again, I'd probably like to be in Western as a little kid. I think I think every kid goes through a point. I know I did when you know you're you're playing cowboys and running around your your backyard and and to be able to actually do that seems like it would be pretty fun. Oh, it's great! <laughs> I I loved it. <laughs> All the fun and none of the dysentery. That's the uh, and 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 no actual bullets. <laughs> <laughs> So now, along with all of your other accomplishments, raising a, a huge family and working in the medical field and uh, and your, your time acting, it's Wonderful Life turned 75 this year, and you are re-releasing your cookbook, uh, Zuzu Bailey's It's a Wonderful Life Cookbook, Recipes and Anecdotes Inspired by America's Favorite Movie. And I would argue that it is America's Favorite Movie. Uh, there, Look, at there it is. And it's coming out later this month, right? The 26th? 28th. 28th. It has all kinds of good stuff in it. Every recipe is named after a character in the movie. Buffalo gals, won't you come out tonight? Beef stew. And <laughs> different things like that. You know, Bedford Falls, blue plate, special meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading through the table of contents and uh, the recipes sound delicious. Uh, now, I understand there's also some, some new photos and kind of some behind the scenes stuff in this yeah. new edition as well, right? And um, there are interviews with Virginia Patton Moss, who played Ruth Dakin Bailey. And there's an interview with Janine Roos, who played uh, young Mary at the Soda Fountain. Well, not young Mary, young Violet at the Soda Fountain. She's really a very nice person. I can't imagine <laughs> why she got that part. <laughs> that was the only movie she ever did. Really? Yeah. After that, she went to the... Bill Harris show, radio show. She did oh, yeah. for years and years and years. She was on radio with him. So now how does it work um, when you want to include photos in, say, like a cookbook like you're, you're putting together? Do you just, do you contact the, is there, is there a, it's a wonderful life estate? Do you have to contact Jimmy Stewart's estate and request those things individually? I'm Susie. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. That might be the best answer we've ever gotten on this show, Greg. I think so. <laughs> uh, well, Zuzu, th- this has been uh, just a ton of fun, and uh, we're really hoping that we can connect with you later in November because you're coming to uh, Tacoma, correct? I am. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And it's for at the holiday show. Yeah, at the Tacoma Dome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, we'll we'll post that info on um, on our website and uh, and link the info there. Also, along with uh, the, you can pre-order your book on Amazon right now. I believe I was just on checking that out. It's in all the bookstores and it's everywhere. I'm really thrilled about it. And uh, what's what's a, uh, another good way to keep up? Are you on any social media? I know you have uh, your website. 
I'm on Facebook, but I have my website, zuzu.net. They can also get the cookbook signed from there. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think I've got some ideas for some Christmas presents. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been a real pleasure. Uh, thank you, Carolyn, uh, so much for joining us. And again, we hope to see you uh, later in the year at uh, down in Tacoma. And uh, we'll be uh, probably playing some of this interview at the Historic Roxy Theater as part of our Christmas event with Jeremy Arnold from Turner Classic Movies. So. <laughs> love to attend that but i just i'm booked and i couldn't go you're you're a busy gal we, and and that's why we, we appreciate you taking time tonight with us i love the roxy i i think it's a great theater i've been there and really enjoyed how they have rebuilt it and made it come back to life i just think it's a wonderful thing for Bremerton. a lot of history Exactly. 80 years this year and 75 for It's a Wonderful Life. So two very worthy celebrations. And and we're glad we could celebrate with you a couple months early. We're feeling like we're actually celebrating our one year anniversary of our show this week. And so it's like Christmas a little early getting to spend it with you. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. And we'll touch base. We'll touch base. We get a little closer to uh, the Tacoma show. Maybe we can swing in and see you. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Be great to shake your hand, get a picture. Absolutely. Well, thank you again to our guest, Carolyn Grimes. You can find out more about Carolyn and her life and work, plus It's a Wonderful Life memorabilia and her new book on her website, www.zuzu.net. You can also access her touring schedule there, and Carolyn will be in Tacoma, Washington, October 21st through 24th for the Tacoma Holiday Food and Gift Show at the Tacoma Dome. And join us next week for a look at the reopening of Broadway with our friend Dr. Broadway himself, Dr. Jason Kintz, on Friday, September 24th. And if you enjoy the show, make sure to follow us and share the podcast with a friend. Tell them to visit HeilmanandHaver.com and tune in on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Amazon Audible, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Drop us a message on Facebook and Twitter. And as always, thank you wherever you are for supporting local theater and for joining us on Heilman and Haver. 